Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler, this is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, November 2nd. Um, first of all, this week has flown by, and that's good because I am, I, I just am so excited for Thanksgiving. I, I want to get there now. I'm having kind of a hard time enjoying the present because I'm looking forward ahead to, to you know, three weeks from now. I get a week with my family at home, and that's going to be amazing. Um, we have a, an amazing, I think a great show today, really capped off by this wonderful story at the beginning. And that's where I want to start. Um, the obvious biggest story of the day is Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins, the 49ers quarterback, a story that just made me so, so happy, filled with joy. Um, you know, Nick Mullins is the 49ers third string quarterback. And last night, he started on Thursday Night Football against the Oakland Raiders. And he dominated. He did so well. And, you know, the, the 49ers beat the Raiders 34-3. to And I'm going to talk about stats. I'm going to talk about, does this affect Jimmy Garoppolo? All kinds of stuff. But more than anything, it's the story behind the numbers. The story behind the person, Nick Mullins. That is why this story is so cool to me. And why I think it resonated with so many people. All, you know, 49ers fans, anybody who watched... If you watch that interview, I'm going to leave a link to Nick Mullins' interview after the game. Um, it it brought me to tears. I mean, it really is a it's an emotional moment with a guy who's worked so hard. So last night, Nick Mullins, he was 16 for 22 passing, had 262 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, a passer rating of 151.9, and uh, again, he dominated. He led the 49ers to a route of the Oakland Raiders. You know, I said yesterday, uh, I guess Wednesday now, I said on Wednesday, I, was gonna, I predicted the Raiders to win this game. And it was because even though the 49ers had a better roster, I said, I don't know who the 49ers third string quarterback is. And no matter what happens, the Raiders are going to have a better quarterback than the 49ers. Simply wasn't true. Nick Mullins was far and away the better quarterback than Derek Carr last night. Making, I mean, what's the salary comparison? What thirty? However many millions Derek Carr is making to Nick Mullins, you know, meager amount probably, um, and that's why this is such a great story. Nick Mullins was a second-year player drafted, out, an undrafted player, excuse me, an undrafted quarterback out of Southern Mississippi, and uh, man, it was just a, a blast. And a lot of people have asked me, they DM to me the question: Is Nick Mullins really good, or are the Raiders simply that bad? My answer is always this. I've repeated this a couple times on Instagram through direct messages. I've said this. Yes, the Raiders' defense is terrible, but Nick Mullins was prepared to kick their ass. It goes both ways. You can have both. Yes, the Raiders are awful. They're a terrible defense. We saw that last night. Uh, Nick Mullins' first touchdown. The guy was wide open by 30 yards. But regardless, Nick Mullins still did the work. At some point in life, your big moment's going to come, and you're going you're gonna to have to be either be prepared or you're not going to succeed. And that's why I respect Nick Mullins, because he was prepared for that moment. I mean, that's how I got my first job operating a camera for sports networks. You know, I, I just asked a bunch of question, I was, questions. I was taking notes. I was probably kind of annoying like a fly on the wall, but I was always asking and eager to learn. And eventually, a, guy, a cameraman didn't show up. I was next up. I got my chance. I've never looked back, and I've operated a camera ever since. And um, I, I just think it's so important to prepare and be ready for your moment when it comes. Clearly, 
Clearly, Nick Mullins was ready for his opportunity. And I'll be honest, last night reminded me of, I don't want to say this, there's a lot of pressure, it's not fair to Nick Mullins, but last night made me think of Tom Brady. I, I, I just, the parallels between Tom Brady and Nick Mullins last night are very weird. Remember, Tom Brady came into a, a franchise with Drew Bledsoe, an established quarterback. They had their guy, they were paying him millions. And, uh, you know, Tom Brady didn't play his first year at all. But when he got his chance in his second year, he was ready to go. He took advantage of it. And, look, this is one game against the Raiders, a terrible defense. But the parallel here is Nick Mullins apparently has been preparing and working for this moment as long as he's been a 49er. Didn't play at all last year. Undrafted rookie quarterback. No one talked about it. I didn't even know who he was. Apparently, this guy's been at home preparing and preparing and getting ready for this moment. So according to uh, tight end George Kittle, I guess at home, you know, Nick Mullins blasts crowd noise in his ears and yells. I mean, I can just imagine in a San Francisco apartment, Nick Mullins screaming out play calls with headphones and listening to, like, crowd noise. Apparently, he does that. And I guess after a game last year, he ran through an entire call sheet, all the plays they ran in that game, after the game in Levi Stadium by himself, again, after a game last year. Last night, Nick Mullins' success was no accident. I mean, I... No matter what you want to say, trash the Raiders all you want. This guy was ready for his moment. I love it. I think it's so cool. Now, my initial reaction to this was, does this make Jimmy Garoppolo look bad? Does Nick Mullins, if a third-string quarterback can succeed under Kyle Shanahan, doesn't that kind of work towards a narrative that Jimmy Garoppolo is clearly a— I mean, a lot of people say Jimmy Garoppolo is a system-type quarterback. Without Kyle Shanahan, he would not succeed. And there are two flaws with this argument. First of all— yeah, any quarterback that succeeds is probably somewhat a product of their coach. I've talked about this before. You need both a great coach and a great quarterback to have success in the NFL. But it's more than that. Again, this was not all Kyle Shanahan. If Kyle Shanahan was clearly such a genius, C.J. Beathard would have played like that the last couple of weeks. And C.J. Beathard, the true 49ers backup quarterback, did not do that. Nick Mullins kind of came out of nowhere, obviously earned this, and he's been working his butt off so hard for this. And I do not think this reflects poorly on Jimmy Garoppolo and because I do not think Nick Mullins' success was all because of Kyle Shanahan. You can't say, yeah, Nick Mullins did it because of Kyle Shanahan. That's not fair to Nick Mullins. It's not fair to Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not fair to anybody. Yes, Kyle Shanahan's a great coach. But don't say that's the only reason why Nick Mullins succeeded last night against the Raiders. I love it, man. I, uh, you know... Nick Mullins nearly cried in his post-game interview. I nearly cried watching it. It was one of my favorite sports moments. Probably, honestly, my favorite sports moment of the whole year. Uh, watching this third-string quarterback make it happen. I mean, I, I just I lost it. I was happy for the guy who clearly put in so much work along the way. And um, I couldn't get enough. There's videos of him in the locker room, you know, celebrating with his teammates. Like, this is, real. This is what football is all about. So I can't remember what he said. But, I mean, the poise just leaks out. Nick Mullins is kind of the story of the moment right now, and I, I love it so much. Um, you know, there's, there's two things he said in his postgame interview I want to talk about. One of them, he says that I prepare every week like I'm the starter, and this was my week. And then he went on to say later, I just love football. And it so obviously leaks out of the guy. And, and I just am uh, – it's so genuine, and it's so cool. When you see a person who has – a passion of theirs and they've worked so hard to get there and they finally make it 
Um, I, I mean, I, I can't stop smiling. I love it. I'm so happy. Now, the question here is next, what if? What if Nick Mullins goes on on like a six-game run where they have eight games left? What if he goes on the next eight games and dominates, plays like he has, he did last night against the Raiders? I think, first of all, that's a question for down the road. He has to do that first. Um, obviously, I think Nick Mullins should start the rest of the year, or at least next week. And if he continues his success, keep the hot hand going. I, I don't know. We got to remember that this is only one game for Nick Mullins. A lot of teams are going to look at the film. They're going to look at his habits. Maybe he's got a certain thing he does. He tips off a lot of stuff. Maybe it's bad footwork. There are still a lot of things that could go wrong in the future for Nick Mullins. But if he continues to play well, and I hope he does, yeah, there's going to be a question down the road. Jimmy Garoppolo or Nick Mullins? But we're simply not there yet. That's not fair to Nick Mullins. It's far too early. Personally, I would. I, I, I just am reinvigorated my interest in the 49ers. I love it. I'm excited. Um, and I, I really want to see Nick Mullins succeed the rest of the year. And I would honestly rather, if Nick Mullins <laughs> dominates and is the guy for the 49ers, I'd love that. I, I would rather have Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm sorry. It's a better story. It's a cooler guy. Um, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo's getting paid millions and millions of dollars. He'll be fine if he doesn't ever become the 49ers quarterback again. And again, I repeat, it is far too early to actually have that conversation. I think we should just enjoy the moment now and... Uh, you know, the 49ers go on next week. I don't know who they play, but I'm going to watch. I'm so excited because I want Nick Mullins to succeed and continue to have success. All right, we have a great show today. A lot of stuff I want to talk about. We're going to do pick six at the very end of the show. It's where I pick six games um, for week nine of the NFL, uh, I guess, season. And uh, first, at the beginning of the, the show, we're going to do two fascinating games where I highlight the two probably most interesting games of the week of NFL Week 9. We're going to talk about, are the Cowboys a playoff team? Why the Seahawks are not a playoff team? I'm going to preview the LSU-Alabama game. And uh, I'm also going to talk about Derrick Rose's 50-point game. Derrick Rose, um, cool story. We'll talk about that down the road. I believe the Cavaliers should trade away J.R. Smith, and at the end we will revisit Hugh Jackson being fired by the Cleveland Browns. And um, he, he gave some quotes, some new, like, New information has been shed on the situation with Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley. I'm going to talk about that later in the show. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long show on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. And help me grow by telling your friends about this show. No, seriously, man. That Nick Mullins story. I I don't cry. I, I, I think I've cried. I cried watching... Inside Out, I, I, I know I feel bad, but I, I watched Inside Out and I cried watching that movie. It was right after my brother died, okay? I had an excuse. I cried watching Titanic, and uh, I cried last night watching Nick Mullen's post-game interview, man. It just got me. It was awesome, and um, it was such a, a cool moment. I'm, I'm a fan, man. I'm not, I'm not a journalist. I, I always say <laughs> I'm a fan of football. I'm a fan of sports, and I'm very much not a journalist. I'm not, bi- I'm not unbiased. I am not uh, impartial. I am a person who is a fan of sports, and I share my fandom with you guys. So I want to next talk about the two fascinating games. So in NFL Week 9, these are the two fascinating games I have decided to highlight. Um, I call them Snake Charmer games. They're games where they may not be the best matchup, but no matter what, you cannot take your eyes off these games, and my eyeballs will be definitely glued to the screen. In fact, there's a block from like, 1 o'clock to 8 o'clock, I'm just going to be watching football straight because of these two games. 
So the first game I want to talk about is the Saints and the Rams in New Orleans. It's a 4.25 p.m. Uh, Eastern time kickoff, 1.25 in my time zone. And this is a huge, huge game. It's likely the NFC Championship game. I, I think down the road in the playoffs, the number one and two seeds in the NFC will be the Rams and the Saints. And uh, I think, honestly, this is a big test for the Rams. The Saints have been there, done that. They have a battle-tested quarterback, a battle-tested coach. They've won a Super Bowl. In the fourth quarter, I'm excited to watch how the Rams play. A lot of people have said that the Rams haven't I saw somebody, I can't remember who it was. Somebody was talking the other day. It might have been a friend of mine, actually. And uh, they said, you know, the Rams haven't played anybody. Their schedule's been so easy. And I completely disagree with that. You know, you look at their, their record so far. They've played the Chargers and won. They beat the Packers. They beat the Vikings. They beat Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. All four of those teams are potential playoff teams, at least in the hunt right now. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't think the Rams have the Rams have been tested, and they've met every challenge they've faced so far. And I'm curious to see how do the Saints challenge the Rams. Honestly, I, I'm leaning towards the Saints winning. It's a game in New Orleans, a home game for the Saints, and that matters. Now, if the Rams do win this game, not only is that going to be a big win for their resume, for me as a person trying to look at the Rams, my I am going to heavily, I'm going to be very impressed if they beat the Saints at New Orleans because, again, down the road, they're going to have to win a lot of big games down the stretch, and uh, this would be a, 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 one of their first big staple wins you know, it's the last game on Sunday other than Sunday night football. It's a big moment. A lot of people are going to watch in New Orleans. If the Rams win this game, I'm going to be thoroughly impressed. And it's going to be a big moment for that organization, for Jared Goff, for Sean McVay, and for everybody that's a part of the Rams. Now, my other snake charmer game, my other fascinating game of NFL Week 9, is uh, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's the Packers and the Patriots. You knew what I was going to talk about. This is Sunday night football. It's going to be an incredible game. And talking about incredible, there was an incredible commercial, actually. Uh, Michael Jordan promoing Sunday Night Football, talking about they have debates. And I, I'm not even going to ruin it. Just look it up. Look up Michael Jordan Sunday Night Football commercial. It is really, truly um, just a special, special game. Now, the narrative everybody's talking about, of course, is Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. I, I think that's a little bit, um, I mean, it's, it's overblown. I'm kind of tired of it. The real narrative here is the Packers roster. We've seen in games earlier this year where Aaron Rodgers has had chances and his roster. Literally last week, Ty Montgomery brought it out of the end zone, fumbled. Aaron Rodgers' team has let him down multiple times this year. And when you look at the head-to-head matchup between the Packers and the Patriots, yes, the Packers have a better quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, slightly better than Tom Brady. But the Packers have a better coach, better defense, better running back, better running game in general better offensive line, I would think. Um, Is the Packers roster enough for Aaron Rodgers to win a tough game against the Patriots? Look, a mediocre roster is a a roster that Aaron Rodgers can take to the playoffs. I'll repeat that again. Aaron Rodgers can take a mediocre roster to the playoffs. But the question becomes, can he win a Super Bowl with a mediocre roster? Can he win games like in New England against the Patriots with a mediocre roster? That remains to be seen. We will find out on Sunday. I'm, I'm picking the Patriots to win this game. But regardless, it's going to be a very incredibly great game, a close game. I'm excited to watch. And uh, you, can, you can bet your sweet ass I will be glued to my television. <clears throat> so we've talked about Sunday Night Football. We've talked about the games on Sunday. What I don't do on my pick six is I don't include 
uh, Monday Night Football. I'd like to save that for Monday. And uh, I want to now talk about Monday Night Football because there is a massive game uh, that I'm I'm really, really excited for. So, again, there are three big games this weekend. There is, you know, the Packers, Patriots, the Saints, and the Rams, and then this game, which is Monday Night Football between the Cowboys and the Titans. There's only one reason why I care about this game. I am so excited to see the Cowboys' new wide receiver, Amari Cooper. Here's what I want to know. Here, this is what I want to know. Does Amari Cooper push the Cowboys over the top and make them a team in playoff contention? Are they now a playoff contender with Amari Cooper? Because right now, the Cowboys are 3-4. and And to this point, I have not mentioned them once in any playoff debates. I talk about, you know, the Redskins, the Packers, the Eagles, maybe the Seahawks are in the hunt. I've never even considered the Cowboys. Maybe things will change if Amari Cooper is a big difference maker for the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to open up the running game because you can't load the box. Because if you do, Amari Cooper can beat you over the top. Amari Cooper, I on paper, in my head, really impacts the way the Cowboys offense works. Now, it's early. It's his first week. But here's why I want to see how much of an impact Amari Cooper can have right away. The next six game for, games for the Dallas Cowboys are brutal. Here are the next six games for the Cowboys. They're at Philadelphia against the Eagles. They're at Washington against the Redskins. They play the Redskins. uh, Excuse me. I repeat that. They're at the Eagles, at the Falcons. Then they play the Redskins at home. Then they play the Saints. They play the Eagles again. And then they play the Colts in December. So Eagles, Falcons, Redskins, Eagles again, Saints, Colts. And remember, this is the Colts in December. The Colts in December are a far better team than they were in September. They were not a good team in September. I think they were like, they won one game maybe. Andrew Luck's improving every week. Yeah, playing the Colts in December is probably you're playing a playoff-level team, kind of like when the Chargers went on a run at the end of the year last year. Every single week, the Colts improve. And so the next six games are going to be incredibly grueling for the Dallas Cowboys, and they're only going to make it through if their offense gets a boost from Amari Cooper. So Monday Night Football, that's the narrative you want to watch on Monday. You're going to watch the Cowboys and the Titans who cares about Marcus Mariota? Who cares about Dak Prescott? Nah, none of that matters. Put your eyes on Amari Cooper. How does he impact the Dallas Cowboys offense? At first glance, is he a guy that can push the Cowboys over the edge and make them a playoff contender? That's what I want to find out from Monday Night Football between the Cowboys and the Titans. <clears throat> Do you want to talk about LSU or the Seahawks next? Hmm. I'm, instead of talking about LSU Alabama, I'm going to talk about the Seattle Seahawks. I do not believe the Seattle Seahawks are a playoff team. Uh, so far this year, they've been a huge surprise. I mean, no offense to them. They're 4-3. and three. As of Week 9, they're in the playoff uh, running. If you look at the standings, right now the Seahawks technically are a playoff contender. But we're only seven games in, and if you take a closer look, um, it's not as impressive as it sounds. First of all, the biggest surprise for the Seattle Seahawks was uh, when they almost beat the LA Rams. They lost 33-31 to to the Rams. Yeah, it was a good game. It was highly competitive. I felt like the Rams played down to their level of competition a little bit. And really, I felt like that game said more about the Rams than it did the Seahawks. The Rams fought through adversity and ultimately won that game. Now, if you look at the Seahawks' four wins this year, they beat the Cardinals by a meager three points, and the Cardinals are terrible. They beat the Raiders. Woo! 
they beat the Raiders, the worst team in football. <laughs> like, I think it's pretty telling the Raiders only win this year is against the Cleveland Browns. How hilarious is that? Um, they beat the Cowboys in September. The Seahawks beat the Cowboys, and it's not, like, again, that's a team without any wide receivers. Um, I, I don't know the, how impressive that win really was. And now last week, the Seahawks beat the Lions. I thought that was probably their most impressive win of the year. Uh, they won 28-14 to and looked like a really good football team. They ran the ball really well, did a great job of play action. I was impressed by the Seahawks' last win. So only one of their four wins so far has been like, yeah, quality, great job. And they have played playoff teams, and they lost. They, they lost to the Rams. They lost to – and they lost to the Broncos, who aren't a playoff team. That's concerning. So um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of trouble ahead for the Seattle Seahawks, and that's why I would say they're not a playoff team. Their wins to this point have not been very impressive. It's been surprising. It's been a good story, good for them, all that good stuff. And, and I encourage you to look back. Remember when articles early this year said, should the Seahawks consider trading Russell Wilson? How dumb does that sound now? Week nine, that sounds like a dumb thing. But if you look at the next eight games for the Seattle Seahawks, that's concerning. Here are the next six. Here are six of the next eight games for the Seahawks. The next game for the Seahawks, they play the Chargers, the Rams, the Packers, the Panthers, the Vikings, and the Chiefs. Six playoff teams. Oh, yeah, by the way, they played the 49ers twice. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be a valiant effort this year. I'm happy for the Seahawks. They fought harder than I expected. And they never did give in. They never said, we're rebuilding. They said, we're not rebuilding. We're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. I respect that fight. But I don't think that makes the Seahawks a playoff team. Their, six of their next eight games are brutal, and the 49ers are still no pushover. So I, I do not believe the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs. Again, their wins so far are not very impressive. And I think if you look ahead, they're going to play six playoff teams in the next eight weeks. That's terrifying. And I do not believe, for that reason, the Seattle Seahawks are a playoff team. I repeat, the Seattle Seahawks are not a playoff team. Okay, uh, before we go to break, I want to take a break, get, catch my breath. I do want to say this first. <clears throat> I want to talk about LSU and Alabama tomorrow. It's going to be a wonderful game. I cannot wait. Um, now let's just jump into it. So tomorrow on Saturday, tomorrow, number one LSU plays. Whoa, I'm wrong. I got to step back and restart this whole segment because LSU is not the number one team in the nation. So on Saturday... There's a great matchup in the SEC coming up. We see number one Alabama at number four LSU. It's going to be an incredible game. I'm actually not going to watch it live. I'm going to have to record it because I'm working for ESPN at the Washington State Cal game. But you bet your ass, I will be recording it. I'm very excited, and I cannot wait to watch. In my opinion, Alabama should win this game. Here's why. I love LSU's quarterback. I think he's great. He's a stud. He is great at the line of scrimmage, makes good decisions, has a lot of poise. But ultimately, Joe Burrow, LSU's quarterback, doesn't have enough arm strength, and he's simply not good enough to beat a team like Alabama. I think it's going to be a really close game for a while. I think at the end, Alabama's going to pull away because of their quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa. Tua's amazing. Tua is just an incredible talent. Um, like He runs like a running back. He runs like Adrian Peterson. Oh, and by the way, he plays and throws the football like Drew Brees. I mean, he's a future number one pick. I know he has a lot of help. A lot of people like to always point out, Tua has a lot of great teammates. Ah, he's not as good as his numbers. I think he's better than his numbers. Um, I do because he doesn't play full games. 
And the really important thing here is that he makes incredible decisions. What he does with the football is unbelievable. I mean, he always makes the right read. And if he doesn't make the right read, he how do, how do I say that? And he doesn't make the wrong read. What he'll do is, if it's not there, he'll tuck it and run, or he'll extend a play and find someone downfield. Um, it's kind of that you can't really win against Tua. You just have to hope you survive the game. And I don't think anybody's going to survive the game against Tua all year. I think they're going to go undefeated and win the national championship. So, um, yeah, I see a... Here's what I would say about Tua. Tua is the difference between having four really great seasons and winning maybe two national championships. And with Tua, Alabama's going to run the table four straight years and win four national championships, kind of like you see in high school sometimes. Alabama with Tua is that dominant. Unless he gets hurt, I don't see Tua and Alabama slowing down at all in in the next couple years, and I'm terrified for anyone who has to play Alabama. So again, my prediction for the LSU-Alabama game is this. Alabama's going to win. It might look competitive for a while early on in the game, but at the end of the game, Tua is the difference. He's better than Joe Burrow, LSU's quarterback, and eventually Alabama's going to pull away in the third or fourth quarter. Alabama wins convincingly in the end. The final score will not predict the first half, or the final score will not reflect the first half. And the first half is going to be tight. Second half, Alabama pulls away, wins like 35-17, to 35-21, something like that. And uh, I, uh, I hope it's good. I hope it's more competitive than my prediction says, but I think Alabama is going to win quite comfortably in the end. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will talk about Derrick Rose. We're going to talk about J.R. Smith, and we will talk about Hugh Jackson. We'll revisit that Cleveland Browns firing of Hugh Jackson. And do not forget, at the end of the show, we'll do pick six. And pick six um, is killing it this year. I was 5-1 and one last week. And uh, it's going going really, really well. So that is what I will do. My name is Akshalma. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Akshalma. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, you know what? Nobody really knows about me. It's really fun. Um, and this has nothing to do with sports directly. Um, I played high school football with Alabama's long snapper. Kind of a fun connection. I, I think I'm pretty well tuned into what's going on at Alabama. I think it's pretty funny that you know, a lot of people often say, Zach, there's two things you don't know. You're not, you have no idea what you're talking about, and you never played football. Well, I did play football. I played in college. And I have a lot of friends in a lot of different places on all kinds of different teams because I've trained a lot of guys that play college football now. And, uh, in fact, I did in, indeed play high school football with Alabama's long snapper. Um, there's a picture of him celebrating after he won the national championship last year with Tua Tungavaloa. I'm like, huh? That's ah, funny. I mean, I'm not an insider. I'm not, like, a deep, like, undercover journalist. But I do have some connections that no one really kind of gives me credit for. Um, I want to talk about a story that just made me so happy the other day. Uh, the other day, Derek Rose scored 50 points. And uh, I don't have a lot to say other than really, it was just super cool to watch. Um, I've, I mean, Derek Rose, what a fall from grace. And what a painful journey it's been to watch and uh, how exciting it's been to watch him kind of come back and resurge in the NBA. Um, what we saw on Wednesday when he did so well against the Utah Jazz, had 50 points. And they won the game, by the way. They won 128 to 125. Close at the end. It was awesome. Derrick Rose looked like he did in 2011 when he won an MVP. And that's why it's so cool. Um, You know, 
I, I remember I watched, we all saw Derrick Rose got emotional after the game for good reason. I mean, this guy's been through a lot. He shredded his knee. I never thought Derrick Rose was going to have a game like he did on Wednesday ever again. I thought Derrick Rose was done. He's a bench player, just cashing in checks. And uh, no, he showed like he's still got some really good basketball left. And I don't know if he keeps it up. I hope so. I w- you know what I'd love to see? What I would love to see is Derrick Rose become the next face of the franchise for the Minnesota Timberwolves and lead them to the playoffs. That'd be awesome. Do I expect that's going to happen? Not at all. But I would love to see Derrick Rose kind of have a second resurgence of his career. What I really respect with Derrick Rose is his love for the game. Derrick Rose makes $2 million a year, which, yeah, that's a lot of money if you're a normal human, but for a former NBA MVP, Derrick Rose makes nothing. He, he makes pennies on the dollar. Like He, he just gets um, – that's a big pay cut for a guy like Derrick Rose. And so he's there because he likes basketball. He's there because he loves playing basketball. Other NBA superstars make upwards of $30 million. Derrick Rose isn't there for the money. I'm sure he likes the paycheck. Don't get me wrong. But I'm so cool. Uh, I think it's so cool what Derrick Rose has done. And I'm so happy for him. I mean, he just has fought so hard to get back. And that game is kind of a landmark game for him. Like, a a post in the ground, I've come this far, I now can score 50 points in an NBA basketball game. It's kind of like me. You know, I've struggled with depression a lot in the last two years. My brother killed himself two years ago. And it was awful. And I had a day the uh, the other day where... Um, it was this, it's really cloudy. It's raining. And I was just on cloud nine. I was so happy. And I had, it was kind of a milestone for me. I was like, Oh, I've come a long ways in my battle with depression. I'm, I'm good. I'm happy. Things are great. And I would imagine this felt kind of that way for Derek Rose, where this 50 point game was a, a landmark milestone moment for him. Look how far I have come in my battle to become a great NBA player again. It's awesome. I'm happy for him. Everybody in the NBA was happy for him. And uh, I, I don't have a lot of deep analysis. I just am so happy for Derrick Rose. It's just a cool moment I wanted to share with you guys. <clears throat> I want to now shift your attention to Cleveland. We're going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then we're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns. The first story out of Cleveland today is that J.R. Smith apparently wants to be traded from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Trade him. Like, what are you waiting for? If, if I hear that, anytime I hear someone doesn't want to be around me, cool, go ahead, leave. It's like if, if a girl says, man, I really want to break up with you. Do it. Break up with them. Don't, don't hang around with someone that doesn't want to be around you. And uh, if someone doesn't want to work with you, you got to let them go. I, if I'm a Cavaliers, I'm saying, yeah, bye, J.R. Smith. Now, I like J.R. Smith, and I understand why he doesn't want to be in Cleveland. I don't think this has anything to do with that bad moment he had in the finals. What this is for J.R. Smith is the Cavaliers aren't trying to win. I finally, like, I thought about it, sat down, and you know, I don't really blame the Cavaliers for firing Tyron Lue because they're not trying to win. It would just make Tyron Lue look bad for years. They kind of did him a favor by letting him go. And so would you want to spend the next two years of your contract, if you're J.R. Smith, in Cleveland when they're tanking and trying to lose and get number one picks? Um, I don't know, man. I, I just... I, I understand why J.R. Smith wants out. And if I'm the Cavaliers, I would trade away J.R. Smith as soon as possible. I mean, okay, it's really bad for the Cavs. They're struggling. They lost Kevin Love to a toe injury. The Cavs are tanking. They're not trying to win. Don't hold J.R. Smith hostage. He doesn't want to be there. Send him to some team that's at least somewhat competitive. I, I understand where J.R. Smith is coming from. I heard he might get fined for saying what he said. 
I don't know. I, I, I guess that's against the NBA CBA. Fine. Fine him $10,000 if you want. Um, but if I'm the Cavaliers, I would trade J.R. Smith. And I understand why J.R. Smith wants to be traded from the Cleveland Cavaliers. A short, kind of boring story, but that's I wanted to talk about that. And it's a good transition into Cleveland, a better, more juicy story with Hugh Jackson. So in an interview with Mary Kay Cabot, um, Hugh Jackson called the Browns firing him premature. He had a lot to say. And um, first of all, I agree. I do think that the Cavaliers, the, excuse me, the Browns firing Hugh Jackson was premature. If I said the Cavaliers, I meant the Browns. I mean, the first thing is this. If you had, in your first two years, you went 1-31. and And then the team kept you. What that tells you is, we're going to be patient and give you time. What was the point of keeping Hugh Jackson if you were just going to fire him after eight games midseason? Kind of weird to me. I haven't really understood that move at all. Now, here's the thing. This is why Hugh Jackson got fired. More information came out, and we have learned that apparently Hugh Jackson went behind the general manager, John Dorsey's back, to complain to the owner and try to regain control of the offense from offensive coordinator Todd Haley. Apparently, John Dorsey is the guy who wanted Todd Haley in Cleveland. That's who hired him. And uh, I've been saying it time and time again. I nailed this when I said the reason why the Browns got rid of Hugh Jackson was because of the bickering between Hugh and Todd Haley. The bickering did them in. It's like when your dad says, both you guys are in trouble, get out. Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson kept fighting for control. They kept complaining to their bosses. And eventually, the Browns ownership, both John Dorsey and the owner said, we're done. No more of this crap. Both you guys are out. We'll find someone else. And well, I again, I agree. It's bad optics. I think it's it's not good. It's not a good look um, to fire your coach. Like, wh- what was the point of keeping Hugh Jackson if you're just going to fire him midseason, anyways? But at some point, you can't put up with dysfunction. And maybe that's what it was. Was the Browns said this is a toxic, awful mess between these two leaders. We just got to get o- get them out of here and move on with it. And if that's what's best for Baker Mayfield and best for the Cleveland Browns, of course I support it. Am I hesitant anytime a team fires a coach midseason? Yeah, I don't like that. But if there's fighting and dysfunction, yeah, you got to get rid of that and you got to move on. That apparently is what happened in Cleveland between Todd Haley, Hugh Jackson, John Dorsey, the owner, and the Cleveland Browns. That is why Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley were fired. And I support it. You can't put up with dysfunction even if it makes your franchise look bad firing the head coach. All right, this last segment of the day. I'm so excited. Um, I, I've really grown to love. I put a lot of work into this segment, you know, making my picks. And it's not just a gut reaction. I try to often, I, I've done that in the past, that this is my gut feeling. But I really try to put a lot of research into this and, and a lot of thought into my picks every week. So this is pick six for the NFL Week nine. It's where I pick six games every week, and uh, it's fun. We look back on it on Monday. It's a great topic. I'm really excited. The first game I want to pick is between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. I feel very, very strongly that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win this game. It's been a hectic, tumultuous week for the Cleveland Browns. And look, I might be wrong. Maybe this goes the other way. Maybe the Browns, all this struggle, lights a fire under them, and they come back and they beat the rating, they beat the team at the top of the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs. What I think is more likely is that it's kind of like when you have a busy week at work. Or, or for example, I'm a college student. I'll have a really busy week, and I get to Friday and go, 
oh crap, there's still a paper due Friday night. And I turned in a sloppy, lazy, kind of half-assed piece of paper. I think the Browns might be unprepared or underprepared for their game against the Kansas City Chiefs. They really need a week off. They need to buy a week to recover from firing the coach and all this turmoil. And they're not going to get it. Instead, they're going to get punched in the mouth by the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm picking the Chiefs to beat the, uh, the Browns. The second game I want to pick this week is the Falcons at the Redskins, again, in Washington. I know the Falcons are banged up, but the Falcons' defense is really good against the run. I think Adrian Peterson's not going to have as good a game as normal against the Falcons. I think it's a very close game, a good matchup, but in the end, I'm picking the Falcons to win this game. At some point, the Redskins are going to peter off, and I might be premature predicting this, but I think this is the beginning of the end for the Redskins. The Falcons are a great team. I think they've, they've again, they've struggled with injuries. They're not going to make the playoffs, but they're going to have a valiant win this week against the Redskins. I think they have better athletes, a better defense, and I would be, not be surprised at all if the Falcons beat the Redskins. I'm picking the Falcons, indeed, to beat the Redskins on Sunday. The Steelers and the Ravens in Baltimore. I'm picking the Steelers. It's time for the Steelers to show the NFC North who's boss, the AFC North who's boss. I know the Steelers have issues, but it's time. They're going to say, hey, Ravens, we're the dudes. We're going to win this division. They have better athletes and a better offense. The reason why I'm picking the Steelers to beat the Ravens, because I know the Ravens have a good defense, but does good defense really matter? I mean, how well did that great defense for the Bears, how, how much did that help the Bears against Tom Brady? It didn't. In the NFL in 2018, offense wins games. I'm picking the Steelers to beat the Ravens. They have a better offense, better athletes, and that it's a better team than the Baltimore Ravens. Here's a really interesting game. It's the Chargers in Seattle against the Seahawks. I'm going to go against conventional wisdom. I'm going to pick the Seattle Seahawks. I know I'm probably going to regret it. It's going to be stupid. Watch. What's going to happen probably is the Chargers blow out the Seahawks uh, like 35 to 14. But it's going to be an ugly, rainy game in the Northwest. The key to this game is Seattle's running game. It's very weird. Seattle runs the ball a ton. They've ran 222 times this year, and they've thrown the ball only 182 times. How often does that happen where a team runs the ball more than they throw the ball in 2018 in the NFL? It doesn't. That's not a normal thing. I think the only other team is the, the Titans, the Tennessee Titans, and they've only run the ball like five more times than they've thrown. The significance, uh, it's like 40 more times for the Seattle Seahawks. It's a big difference. It's a weird di difference. And I would point out the Chargers' biggest weakness is their inability to stop the run. I think Seattle might have a field day running all over the Chargers. It's going to be a really close game at the end, but I think the Seahawks do get the win at home against the Chargers. I know it's against conventional wisdom, taking a chance, picking the Seahawks to beat the Chargers. Okay, this is where it gets really good. There are two games left, and uh, you know the two games I'm about to talk about. First, it's the Saints and the Rams in New Orleans. I'm picking the Saints. I know the Rams are 8-0, um, but I think they're bound for a loss. And I know that makes sense, that they're, they're bound for a loss, but that's not good enough. And if you look at the way the Rams have played, uh, this is still going to be a very close game. I mean, the Rams have been battle-tested, and they've come out victorious every single time. The Rams beat Aaron Rodgers. The Rams beat the Vikings. They beat Russell Wilson. They beat the Chargers. This is an early afternoon game. It starts at 425 Eastern time, 125 in my time zone on the West Coast. But I'm giving the edge to the Saints at home. 
I think this is kind of a preview of the NFC Championship game. But if the Rams do win this game, it's a massive, massive moment for me to give them respect. I would be shocked. If Jared Goff pulls ahead and wins this game in the fourth quarter, an incredibly fun fourth quarter, I predict, um, it'd be a big win on the resume of the LA Rams. But ultimately, I'm picking the Saints to beat the Rams on Sunday. The final game I want to talk about is the Packers at the Patriots. Sunday night football. It's going to be a wonderful game. Uh, This game's really easy for me. I know Aaron Rodgers is incredible. He's a great quarterback. But he needs help. Aaron Rodgers does not have a good enough roster to beat the Patriots. Bill Belichick, they have a better defense, better running game. The Patriots are better in every phase other than quarterback. And that the difference between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, look, we're <laughs> what are you arguing over here? It's like arguing over two huge engagement rings. They're both great. It doesn't matter. So I'm picking the Patriots to win because they have a better roster, better coach, better running game, better defense. Aaron Rodgers is great, but I don't think he can carry a mediocre roster to beat a team like the New England Patriots. Guys, that has been pick six. Again, I'll repeat it. I'm picking the Patriots to beat the Packers. I'm picking the Rams to lose to the Saints. I'm picking the Saints to beat the Rams. I'm picking the Falcons to beat the Redskins. I'm picking the Chiefs to beat the Browns. I'm picking the Steelers to beat the Ravens. And I am picking the Seattle Seahawks to beat the LA Chargers. Guys, that is my show. That is all I have. Um, I really, really appreciate it. On Monday, we will do a segment called the biggest surprise of the weekend. What do we call it? It's like the surprise of the weekend, something like that. We're going to talk. That's the thing you can look forward to on Monday. We'll talk about all the big games coming up this weekend. We'll talk about LSU, Alabama. We'll talk about the preview again for the Cowboys Titans game. But what will be the surprise of the weekend this week? I have no idea. I'm excited to find out what if maybe the surprise of the weekend is going to be LSU beating Alabama. I don't think that happens. I think there's no way. But I encourage you to watch. Starts 5 p.m. my time, 8 p.m. your time in the East Coast. And uh, I really, really, you're, as, if, as if half the people in the show don't listen to it on the West Coast. Um, but yeah, LSU Alabama is going to be amazing. Can't wait to watch. Uh, there's also a, a great game. I think it's Michigan-Penn State. It's going to be a wonderful game. And uh, I think it's at Ann Arbor, though, so I'm, I'm edged to Michigan. Guys, it's going to be a great weekend of sports, great weekend of football. Baseball is gone. We can focus all our attention on football and basketball, my two favorite sports. And uh, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done. Bye.